So welcome to podcast number 25. We hit a milestone this week of 5,000 downloads, so thank you to all for tuning in. We really couldn't do it without your support, so it is greatly appreciated. And this week's inspirational runner is Johnny Breen, who comes all the way from Banbridge in County Down. I think a lot of us are going to relate to Johnny's story as the modern world drives a lot of stress and anxiety into our increasingly busy lives. I believe it took a lot of courage for Johnny to change his path of direction, as you'll hear about in this podcast. Um, But the message I took from his story is that I suppose pain is of value if it carries growth, as talked about in his 107 mile challenge from Belfast to Dublin. But if there's nothing other than more pain at the end of the pain, then maybe a change in direction is what is needed. New beginnings are often disguised as painful endings. So you used to work in... I used to work in a Belfast clothing company, an outerwear clothing company. Uh, before that, I'd worked in export sales for a linen weaver in Banbridge, pretty traditional stuff. I quite liked that, but there were probably limited possibilities. Uh, yeah. It's probably a sort of a business that's maybe on the wane rather than in growth. And so I was moved to an outerwear company in Belfast where I then became a director, I suppose, after about yeah, after about a year and a half, I became a director, and I was a director there for about 11 years. How many people did you have working for you there? There were about half of them. Uh, there were about about 25 people in total worked there. Uh, the nature of the clothing business is that um, garments are made offshore, uh, far east, basically. Like yeah, like the top you're wearing and the t-shirt I'm wearing, no doubt. Um, and, you know... You don't actually have that many people making anything. You design it, you come up with it, you market it, you sell it, you warehouse it, you administer it, but you just don't put it together. You do everything yeah. You do everything else but. So there are probably three, 400 people in China working for your subcontractors, who you suppose indirectly mm. are responsible for, but about 25 people in that company. And I was the sales director in that company. Okay, so what did that entail then? Uh, I think maybe that the ta- exact title itself was a bit misleading. Um, the guy who owned the company uh, was an, an entrepreneur, uh, very entrepreneurial, seat of the pants. That's not quite me. I'm not really a risk taker, uh, maybe a bit more methodical. Mm-hmm. And those those are probably two things that maybe can work well together, but I think possibly in this case didn't really work that well together. So I was really responsible for running of the company. Mm-hmm. Obviously he was the boss, but I was pretty much responsible for the running of the company. In, in times which were initially good in the early noughties, and then as you move towards the crash, that became yeah. very challenging indeed. Uh, for us, as it did for everybody, really, wasn't it? Everybody else, to be honest, it was everybody tough. Felt that. It was tough, yeah. Mm. Some of your best work was actually done trying to keep the place going rather than the years where you could say, oh, we had fantastic growth this year and look at the wonderful profit we made. Actually, some of the best work was done. Yeah, and possibly yeah. most stressful work was done basically trying fighting a rear guard action sometimes. There's a lot of pressure comes to that. There's a lot of people relying on that as well, keeping that business up. Um, I would say that um, I didn't actually, I would, I would be pretty sure that I wouldn't have felt really responsible for other people. I mean, to be honest, I didn't really worry about their mm-hmm. mortgages as such. I'm the sort of person that is, I think, driven by uh, challenging myself. And I think when you challenge yourself, that is good in that it shows uh, that you're prepared to put in the effort yourself and therefore it's easier to ask other people to do it but it can also be a weakness because you're prepared to put the effort in and you end up not delegating and that's yeah. obviously the 
I mean, I'm pretty sure in management that 50% of the delegation is to the management from the employee rather than from the manager to the employee, which is not really the way it's meant to work. But I would say that I would have been uh, better at receiving delegation from below than giving it from above. And that's, you know. It's a fine balance, like, isn't it, between the two? It's a fine balance. And I think retrospectively, you get to be aware of your own weaknesses, maybe just as well as anybody else. Is. It's about having a very clear defined and what people's roles are within that structure, isn't it? There's no doubt about that. And I think that I am good at focusing on my priorities, but I would... Look, you may have to ask... Everybody thinks they're objective, but everybody is subjective. So uh, my take on being objective is that I am good at organising myself and motivating myself. I think I'm good at motivating other people, but I'm not sure if I'm not good at dealing with other people who are not maybe totally committed. Yeah. I find that challenging, disappointing and challenging. Especially when you've got, you know the objective and what needs to get done, and you've got this group of people to do that. And sometimes it's hard to try and bring them all in that same direction. Absolutely. Other, other people, have different, uh, people have different priorities in life, and... Um, Sometimes it's easy to try to prioritize everything, uh, which basically means that the thing that maybe is most important actually ends up being neglected, and the things that are not so important end up getting a bit overcooked and overemphasized, and that's a waste of time and resources, and that yeah. leads to aggravation. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. It can be a lot of frustration in it, but there comes a weight with that. I know within my own. Um, role. I work in the co- corporate job as well and if you looked on it on a day-to-day basis you actually don't really see the pressure, it's not really there. There's that old cliche of really sort of holding that glass of water. It's not a heavy glass but after a week it gets heavy, after a month <laughs> it gets heavier and heavier. Before you realise you know it's extremely hard to hold that glass because a lot of pressure comes with that. That's right and I think, I think it's um I think when you get to the stage that you've been holding that glass for a decade or more, that uh, the I sort of compare it a bit to children. When you see your children every day, you don't notice them getting taller or cheekier. Um, but when you see your nephews every six months or nieces every six months, they've got tall um, and change, and their voice might have got deeper for the <laughs> nephews, not nieces, and you know. You sometimes, because you're living with yourself and you're a part of that situation uh, in quite an intense way, you don't notice it creeping up on you Um, because it's small things that chip away at your maybe resilience, your enthusiasm, um, your ability to relax, your uh, ability to communicate with other people sometimes, your ability to sleep, for example. You don't notice notice things, things creep on you and therefore when it maybe comes to a bit of a head, it can be a bit of a surprise. Yeah. But maybe maybe it's a surprise to you, but maybe not a complete surprise to some others. And and so at that point, you know, when you, that surprise comes to you, and you start looking back, and you're like, whoa, it was there the whole time. You just didn't really recognise it. Well, I I, 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 I could sit here now today and think, how did I get away with four hours sleep for years? There, mm-hmm. going to sleep at night in two seconds because I was exhausted. I'm looking at the ceiling from four o'clock in the morning, worrying about what I had to do the next day, or worrying about various scenarios, or overanalyzing things that probably were more simple than I thought they were. And eventually, to be honest, just going to work at six o'clock in the morning because at least if I was there, I could feel I could sit down and think about it, which obviously made me more tired, etc. 
etc. <laughs> yeah, it's like a snowball effect then, isn't it? Pretty much so, yeah. But it's pretty much in the modern day world that we live in today, you know, everybody carries a level of stress and with a, a mild anxiety that I see in a lot of people. Um, something that I've had to deal with in my own job and my own role and had to put certain factors into place. And I think everybody could benefit from a bit of self-awareness to actually what's going on. And if you talk about your situation and what you've gone through there, so you're sleeping like four hours a day. Like sleep is one of the most important things to allow the body to recover. It's then, not a long-term strategy. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. So what did you... Talk me through that situation then with work, because I think it's such an admirable story. <laughs> and I was looking forward to coming up today, because it's actually... Like I work in, a, as I mentioned, a, a corporate environment, and I can see it in people. Do you know what I mean? And they can't see it themselves, how much stress they're taking on. You're like, whoa. You know, if you're even thinking that you're stressed out, you're already well past that. It's maybe 20 times worse than what, you're, what you can see to that. And um, it takes a lot of strength. I know I have conversations with people and say, you know, you don't realize at a time, you think it's a weakness to actually go and talk to somebody that you're feeling stressed. Where actually, once you've done it, and you look back, you realise how much of a strength it is to actually take that step, isn't it? Um, there comes... I, I don't think I was particularly brave in that I took a step. I don't really think I had a moment of realisation. I can remember one particular day going to work and getting to a particular point in the journey and just turning the car around and going home. Mm. Um, and I wasn't really sure why. And uh, I went home, got into bed, and I, I really don't know how long I slept for. Yeah. And I think I had a moment, I think it's it sort of, I realized then that there was something wrong, but plowed on. Um, and then I had a moment, it's about, uh, about four years ago when I decided that really I, I'd had it. Um, and I had to take a little bit of time off. Mm. Now, of course, what I did was I took two weeks off, uh, which was, nowhere near enough in fact the two weeks that it took off were probably worse than the lead up to it because yeah. I think I realized really what had hit me uh, went back too early to work um, took another couple of weeks off uh, then not long after and then managed to get back into it because I think really the guy I worked for realized that it was kind of closish to the edge uh, I'm not sure it was through deep human concern that he backed off a bit it was his business. He wanted it to do well, um, and you know that's that's okay. Yeah. Um, it's maybe not ideal, but that's that's the way it was. Then I think I decided that uh, I got I was forty five years old. I also had a stressful situation. My mother was dying a sort of a long and painful and rather unpleasant death, and it was a quite a stressful situation. My sister lives in England, and my father's been dead for a long time, so it was quite along with a difficult work situation. I suppose it all these things yeah, add up a little bit, like, you know. Yeah. It also leads to you not neglecting your home life and so on, and that's that's not a great idea either, you know. But my family were pretty supportive to me now, in fairness, and uh, would still be uh, above average in their understanding. Let it put it put it like that. No, they'd be very good. They're very good. Um, but I decided, really, at the age of forty-five, it was time to make a decision. Do you keep going, um, knowing that it's not going to work out? Um, knowing that there might be a correction because obviously people have seen that you've got an issue but then you know that you're going to get back on the slippy slope because it's in your nature so I took a decision to uh, not work for nine months well not nine months in particular but I decided not to work 
uh, and it was the best thing I ever did. And yeah. uh, I had got quite a lot of enjoyment out of things like just little things like uh, PTA work. Uh, I didn't really see it as work, but PTA, yeah. great fun in, in a PTA in the kids' primary school. Doing little, little bits and pieces like nights at the races for people, just if they wanted one done. It was a bit of fun. Had a couple of beers. They raised a bit of money. That was all fine. Then I did one uh, joint fundraiser for a PTA, and I did it with the children's hospice as well. I knew the girl who ran the children's hospice group in Banbridge, where I live. And I thought to myself afterwards, the rest of the charities that I'd maybe have done stuff for, you know, just an evening for, I thought, oh, that's very good, that's tremendous, we raised them a bit of money, that was a good laugh. But there was just something about the children's hospice that really resonated. Maybe it's having children, maybe it resonates with everybody, I don't yeah. know. It's not, you know, uh, you know, it's a good cause. I think people can kind of recognise yeah, yeah. that, you know. Um, and I thought, you know, I could work in a charity. I could do that. Now, it's a, it isn't a ticket towards wealth but it actually is if you do it right and maybe I am not doing it right but hopefully I am it's a ticket to massive satisfaction yeah and that I realized that doing sales figures trying to get another couple of hundred thousand on the sales and per year I realized that that wasn't doing it for me anymore even though it was very important and obviously a key part of my job it wasn't doing it for me anymore but raising money to help children in a children's hospice or adults we have an adult hospice as well I thought, you know, uh, you put yourself out there and go to work and work hard and put your shoulder to that and motivate other people. That's going to benefit people that are really in a hole. I mean, if I thought I was under stress, you should see some of the people yeah. that I am honoured and privileged to come across these days when I see their situations. And if you didn't think it was worthwhile raising a bit of money for those so people, you'd have a pretty yeah. cold heart. It's about perspective sometimes, isn't it? Where you think you are and then you see people that are really struggling. I, I see people on their knees, to be honest. Yeah. I, I see people that tell me they're on their knees because of a very, because they've been unlucky. Mm. They've got a child with a life limiting or a terminal illness. And, you know, it doesn't get a lot worse than that, to be no, honest, Robbie. You know, that's, that's there's yeah. always somebody worse off than yourself. And I think quite often in Northern Ireland, you know, some of them, some of them have got tough situations and are being helped by the children's hospice. So if I can help the children's hospice in my job to yeah. help those people, that that works for me. You talked about wealth there. It's not really a path towards wealth, but it depends how you measure wealth, doesn't it? Really, absolutely. Is it, is it about getting money and finance? Um, you know, working for somebody with a purpose that's aligned with their cause, or does your wealth come from helping other people and living the life? Look on a in a materialistic point of view. Um, I had a pretty good job, so you know it was pretty well remunerated, but I still had no money. Yeah, spent it on stuff. Um, and now I have a job where I don't earn as much money and I don't have any money or I don't have much money but um, but I'm not yeah. I'm not worried about it now and I don't miss the things that I spent the money on previously because it didn't particularly make a difference to me it's just a it was just part of a fancier car and things like that just really, the stuff that not, nothing really flash yeah. but just not really worrying too much or just you know now what I have to do is worry about what my race budget is That's it. <laughs> and then ignore it. Have you always run then? <laughs> I've always played sport. Look, I, I, when we were young, we lived in Belfast. and I, I went to uh, BRA for a couple of years and they had running teams. So we ran around, we, we had like six in the cross country team. We ran around the waterworks. That was the cross country, yeah. in, Bel that was the cross country in Belfast. <laughs> or up around, they had the castle grounds as well. So I ran on the school team then for a couple of years, then moved to Banbridge. 
and um, it's hockey in Banbridge, so took up hockey, so played in teams in hockey, loved team sport. Played hockey till I was about 23 or 4, then some of my friends started a football team. Played the Middlester League at a mediocre level, loved it, and all that time played cricket, played cricket for nearly 30 years. Brilliant. Absolutely, I, 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 I do like cricket, which people find quite hard to relate to, and that's fine, that's okay. Um, so I always played team sport, loved team sport and got a huge amount from it and I think especially when we moved to Banbridge my dad was actually the headmaster of the school that we went to that was a tough situation for my sister and I it's not <laughs> it's not good for street cred I guarantee you that and uh, but being associated with other aspects of the town for example going and playing hockey one of, my, one of my teachers got me into that and I thank him to this day for that um, that helped make friends you know kind of outside mm -hmm. school and that that started the ice breaking and that worked so team sport i've always got a huge amount from even though i've probably played at um, slightly uninspiring levels it worked for me yeah but actually the running really started about five years ago and two friends of mine from school who just go and jog around Banbridge and walk a bit and chat got me back into it and i suppose really i'd finished the football quite a few years ago and continued to play cricket but didn't play that much cricket because of two kids and kids are a great reason and excuse not to bother with sport yeah. especially maybe in your 30s when you sort of think you're winding down but actually there's still, still life in the old dog yet and my two friends who I'd be eternally grateful to got me out running and uh, who were they? Two guy, a guy called Jim Lockhart and a guy Ricky McInerney who I've been to school with in Banbridge many years ago played football with both of them and they, they just got me into running they're one of them never enters a race, has never entered a race, and one enters the odd race, but he gets a lot from it. And I think I just got... So I, I then, like 42? It's about 44, I'm 48 now. So, uh, yeah, about 43, 44. Just, I'm not, I'm not sure, I, yeah. I'll have to check my diary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that just started casually. Then started to meet people on the circuit, and then I think what I realised then was, although I loved team sport, and got a huge amount from it, inevitably in a team, well, in some teams, like in any walk of life, when you're in, a, in, in, in that situation, you do not everybody's absolutely driving in the same direction. It's a little bit the same as maybe, I suppose, as what I mentioned and alluded to in work. What I get from running is the not the team, but the group. Yeah. You're running for your... I'm running for myself. I'm not going to get on the podium, but I'm challenging myself, and I've always liked to challenge myself because I just don't see why... I wouldn't okay mm. and I don't get the I'm just going to jog around today yeah I mean I actually I, I said yesterday I was going to jog around at the 10k relay and 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 Armagh and the lashing rain but I just thought at the end of it I might as well go and do a half marathon here sure why not and at the end of it all I realized actually I had been pushing myself because <laughs> the time wasn't absolutely awful um but I the so what time did you get 137 yesterday Jeez, that was brilliant well so that was okay but it was lovely and although it was kind of wet it was lovely weather and conditions. It wasn't really rain that would wet you. It was kind of on the wind. Yeah. That's nice and cooling. And you just get a rhythm going, you know. It's and it's getting coarser too, which gives you a better recovery too. Is that a PB one thirty seven? No, it wasn't no, but uh, it wasn't too far off it. In fairness, but uh, but it makes you at least it makes you think there's still life in the old dog. Yeah. And there definitely there definitely is. I can definitely see there's 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 time to knock off there, and that's great for me because I know it's not going to be maybe that easy. I won't do it every race, but you know. If I can chip away between now and the so next. So you've kept a quite a good level of fitness all the way through your life then? 
Yeah, I th- I'm, I'm quite you lucky. you woke up some morning and you've been like eight stone overweight or anything like that, you've kept to maintain a good I've physique. always looked, I've always pretty much looked the same. Um, that <laughs> doesn't mean that everything was in exactly the same place or would have taken me as far. My lungs certainly at some stages wouldn't have supported me too far. I remember doing a couple of 10Ks because one of our customers was organizing 10Ks and walking around like John Wayne for a week afterwards, you know, just off the horse and then typical down the stairs on your bum kind of thing mm-hmm. uh but I, I i think luckily i wouldn't have put on weight but i'm not sure that that's always a great thing because it makes you lazy because mm-hmm. you kind of look the same you don't you're probably getting fat on the inside but maybe not on the outside <laughs> so i actually don't i actually now would be inclined to put a little bit of tummy on and actually i can see it and i think mm, time to you know just watch right, that discipline. just watch that you know um yeah because otherwise, you know, if you don't see it and you look kind of the same, you don't yeah. notice it yourself, you know? So when you're walking around with these guys and jogging about a bit about around Ambridge, and what was the first race then? Uh, I'd, done, I'd done races before then, Ban 10K, for example. Um, then in the Lisburn 10K, um, just local, a few local races, just basically on a completely ad hoc basis. And I'll be honest, my race schedule is still rather ad hoc. And I usually remember I'm doing a race because I try to sign up for it and it says you're already signed up, mate. Uh, so it probably wouldn't be the most organized race schedule, but I just love I'm, I'm being the opposite out there. to that. I actually think I'm <laughs> registered and I, I land up and say, sorry, yeah, I'm registered. I've done this months ago. <laughs> yeah, I think I've actually done it once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you didn't have to travel abroad for that. So you were like in a 10K sort of distances? 10Ks, yeah. So yeah, yeah. And I still look, I still do like, I do lots and lots of 10Ks, five milers. Yeah, it's taken us ages to hook up actually because you're, you're running the whole time. Like, I, <laughs> you never I, stop. Well, look, why not? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and so when do you first think about running your first marathon then? I my first my first charity job was for the Meningitis Research Foundation up in Belfast and you know I really did enjoy it. I'll be honest it was kind of a stalking horse to get me into the charity world, but I I did I did like working there and actually I'm running the London Marathon next year for Meningitis Research Foundation in memory of a guy whose mom and dad I really clicked with. Uh, he died at about 11 or 12 years ago of meningitis. Um and I was trying to motivate people to run legs of the marathon this kind of thing and it was that old thing of uh, mentioned earlier if you're asking other people to do it why not do it yourself so I said right okay I'm gonna do the Belfast marathon and um, signed up 2014 was it that was last year oh last year yeah it was just last year so last year was your first marathon last year first marathon was the Belfast marathon brilliant so uh, and that was fine I trained away for it I'm not a big man for great training programs to be honest with you um you just like to run i just like running yeah sure i like running and yep i've got a few marathons coming up now so i will try to increase my miles over the next week or 10 days but look i don't have a massive Mm -hmm. training schedule i go out and enjoy my running the fitness comes from that and yep okay so you've got a marathon coming you will have to do a couple of longer runs but that's fine that'll happen too and how do you find mentally that running helps i think it just gives you space in your brain um I don't I, look it's it's a little bit more difficult for me now maybe to describe that because I'm not in such a stressful place in my life but I know that I can remember um, going to races and it wasn't necessarily the race itself it was the meeting up with the guys that I now sort of was getting to know through racing um, 
of all abilities. You'd meet up, travel together, get there nice and early. The crack was always good. You'd run the race. And what I think, and I mentioned it earlier, the, the group thing about running, that you could end up at a, we were at a five miler in Money Moor on Friday night. Okay, a bit random. We were on Money Moor. And one of the guys did it in 29.30 that we were in the car with. Um, I did it in like 34 something. And the two guys who were in the back, a guy and a girl, they just ran together and did it in 39. And everybody was very pleased for everybody else because it all done well, maybe relative to what yeah. they were expecting. Likewise, we were in Armagh yesterday and everybody was happy. You did this in the leg, you did this in your leg, whatever. And I just like the I just like the positivity of running, and that is, it gives me headspace and it gives me. Uh, I get a huge amount of positivity from yeah. the people that I'm running with, no matter what their ability and no matter what my ability. That's what the, that's what really does it for me. Yeah, you really touched on it there when you talked about um, that team community. You almost have that in running, but you run as an individual. Exactly. But you also get the the team or community aspect of it. And it doesn't matter if you're winning the race or if you're last in the race. In fact, the further back you are, the more support you get and the more Absolutely. praise that you get. Absolutely. And even at the start of the race, how positive it is. And everyone's like, you know, good luck, good luck. And then everybody's full of those sort of nerves. And then after the race, everybody's just full of chatter and they're buzzing. Like, oh. And it's a great thing to actually just go and see. I just think it's, a, in my experience so far, it's uh, unrivaled for positivity. At all levels. Yeah, definitely. Now, I haven't so, been to all levels, especially the higher ones, but uh, yeah, yeah. all levels of running, in, uh, in my experience, are positive. Brilliant. So how many marathons have you run? Um, oh, four. Four, four marathons, including the Causeway. And then I attempted the Belfast to Dublin, which I got 3.7 marathons through. <laughs> yeah, so but then, but tell then, me about that then. So you have three marathons. So... You had three marathons, what were they? So the uh, Belfast, Belfast Causeway. Causeway, Dublin, and Liverpool Rock and Roll, actually. So I've done four marathons. Uh, and then I decided I was going to do four in one day. So I decided I was going to try to. So Dublin to... Um, Belfast, Belfast to Dublin. <coughs> Belfast to Dublin. It was Belfast to Dublin. Belfast to Dublin this year, which actually I think is a disadvantage from your, when you're up here. You're running away from home. Next year, we'll be coming home. Yeah, so it's 107 miles. 107, yeah. So tell me a bit about that then. So you ran your first marathon last year? Yeah. <coughs> so it was a very, it's all very sort of. Yeah, but look, you know. Um, what made you think, bang, I'm going to run 107 miles? Well, I don't know. It might be something similar to your podcast with Lauren <laughs> O'Malley, who had never run one marathon and then decided to do Marathon Day Sable. Yeah. Uh, which is six marathons in five days and 50 degree heat. So that's probably a slightly more. I find her more inspirational. I find myself mildly interesting, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know it's not maybe a totally dissimilar. It's not a totally irrelevant comparison, in that um, I just I just wanted to challenge myself. I just wanted to do something a bit different, um, and I thought I could do it. Yeah. How, how did you how did you get exposure to that then? Because when I started marathon running in two thousand eleven, it was all about marathons up till about. 2013 or 14 all of a sudden it's everywhere now everybody's doing these ultras and big, yeah big races um did you know anybody that was doing that race i didn't know anybody who's doing that race um i rocked up uh at the start my wife left me off at the bus 
Um, <laughs> and I rocked up at the start and saw all these people in all this gear uh, with this. Uh, there were support cars and things like that, and I thought to myself, I think I might have made a mistake here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I actually hadn't made a mistake, but I just didn't manage it properly. Did you have a crew? No. No. No crew enough. Didn't have a crew. Right. No. Didn't. And how many people saw then at that race? I think there were about. I think it started by about 70 people were in the race. I'm, I'm not sure. About 70 people. Yeah. Do you know any of those people now? I do, yeah. I suppose you know I do. Was probably I, was, uh, I was chatting to one of them last night. Who, yep. Who were some of the names then? Uh, the guy I spent uh, most time with was a guy called James Bassett, who is uh, a walker from the Isle of Man. Um, and he was actually, by the time we got to the Carrickdale Hotel at 46 miles, when my feet were already starting to cause problems, um, he was actually going to pull out. I think partly because he was a bit bored uh, <laughs> um, and he, he he has been the 100k walking champion of the of right, okay. UK um, and he's about 40 he's it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be one of the nicest routes to be fair but no, it's, it's from not. Belfast to Dublin it's not great look the, the, the good thing about the first part of the route is that you know the first marathon takes you from Belfast to Banbridge so I know that way yeah. I live there um, there are people along the route there were people outside where we are now in Lisburn saying hi, well done, who are volunteers for the charity and so on. There were people on the A1. Maybe one of your high points then, was it, sort of coming back? Absolutely. Well, the number of people at the Downshire Arms and Banbridge at the top of the town was just fantastic. But after that, you come down with a bit of a bump. Yeah. It starts to get a bit darker, starts to get colder. Um, so uh, what miles does that start to happen then? You start feeling the aches and pains and doubts starting to creep in a little bit. By the time I got to the Carrickdale, I was, it was tough. It was definitely tough. Um, so that's about that's forty six miles. Forty six miles. You've just come up that very long drag out in Uri, which is mm -hmm. challenging. You know, well, you are tired at that stage. You know, you're a few miles from your uh, your next break because you're not even at a halfway point yet. You're not at and halfway in your no. head as well. And you know the night time's coming, and you're also getting into the part of the route that you don't know. Yeah, and what time time of year is that? That was the end of March. End of March. Yeah. It's still cold. Yeah, no, we were very lucky with the weather. I, at that time of year, I'd much rather be a bit cold than wet. You know, and if it's going to be warmer, it's going to be because of cloud cover. You're yeah. you're going to get damp, and I do not want to be in the. I do not want to be wet in Dundalk at two a.m. <laughs> I'm not sure what way to go. To be honest, I'd rather be dry and have to make sure I've got my gloves on. Uh, so what way was it signposted? Did you know it pretty much? Or? I I think uh, it wasn't really signposted. We got a map. Uh, there were tra um, the guys from Atlas were moving up and down the course, but obviously it's very, it gets very elongated, you know, between first and second. Yeah. The winner won that race in just over sixteen hours, and Jesus. the girl who finished last came in at thirty five thirty. She walked it. Yeah. Um. So it's kind of hard to keep an eye on people. You do tend to get into little groups. Um. I think it's just a little bit of self preservation. Plus during the night it is psychologically, it's quite challenging. You know. Yeah. I think I find it difficult if you got to a little hamlet. And we're able to say, right, I'm at this spot and now I'm out of it. That was great because you're on the next place. But when you get to somewhere like Dundalk, for example, you get to Dundalk, but it takes you an hour to get through it. Mm. And that's, you're, you're waiting for that next route, road sign to say Drogheda, how many miles? Then in Drogheda, the same thing happens, you're waiting for Balbriggan. And that's when, that gets, quite, that gets quite tough because you can't move on to your next stage for maybe the length of the time it takes you to go through that town. I find that hard personally. Things are slowing down in your mind. And your mind your is very. Your your body's slowing down. People on the tracker are looking at you. You're doing two miles an hour, and then we got <laughs> we got the draw at about seven a.m. 
and the McDonald's in Drogheda was like a chiropractor's uh, or a chiropodist, sorry. It was uh, foot carnage in the in the in that, re- that particular restaurant now and not that appetizing I imagine <laughs> for the other punters but the, the team the, the, the race doctor was there and there was a lot of medical attention being given I must admit not least to to me yeah the, the trackers sort of play in your mind a little bit as well don't they because you know people are watching and I know when I'm doing the marathon and I'm always on target up to you know you go through the halfway point and I'm just thinking yep everyone knows I'm on target <laughs> and then you go past like the 30k mark yes bang I'm on target and the wheels come off and you know they're just waiting for you to cross that 40k and you know the wheels come off and they're all going geez what, where's Robbie gone <laughs> he's and disappeared what, is this the people that are on their sofa yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> well I always laugh I'm most probably walking like whatever there's I'm nothing out. wrong with walking if it's yeah. part of your plan no, I have a my, my very basic plan is that I'm feeling under pressure I walk for 100 paces yeah and uh, that that gives me a bit of life you know, and uh, it doesn't mean you're just walking interminably. It gives you, I give myself 100 paces to recover. Yeah, you go, go to a structure. If you yeah. go to a structure rather than just mindlessly walking. It's just the way I lost. do it. Just, yeah. It works for me. You know, it, in my wee world, it works for me. So as far as I'm concerned, that's fine. It might not work for anybody else, but that's that's, that's okay. Yeah. I think if you, I think if you, uh, we did the rock and roll half marathon in Dublin just two weeks ago. There was a cliff-like hill was part of that route because it was rerouted because the Pope was here <laughs> so uh, the route was a little bit more uh, hilly than last year shall we say I got to the bottom of this hill and thought I'm just walking up this hill and I think it was f- I walked 400 paces and I think I lost 30 yards on people and by the time I got to the top of the hill I didn't look like I was about to have a heart attack but a 107 mile race is a totally different ball game altogether you're gonna walk do you know what I mean the yeah, I walked half of that yeah, so that's you know. Do you think of because um, on a long ultra, especially one at that sort of distance, um, you go up and down, so you have some real low points, and after a while, you don't have many high points. Like no, I think can I you think, think of uh, a low point that you were able to push through. Or uh, I yeah, we got to. Uh, I was with James. We got to Drogheda, and. You know, it's the old road in the Drogheda, so it's the old road to Dublin, basically, which has been badly neglected and is extremely uh, bad on your feet, which was my main problem. Um, I was in Drogheda about a, probably about a mile and a half from the McDonald's, and we stopped into a garage because I was in pain, proper pain. And I sat down at a little table in this garage, and I put my head on the table, <laughs> and I said to James, I, I can't go any further. Um, every step was like a red hot poker on my feet. There was no skin on my feet, basically. Um, and so I was having to walk on the outside of my feet, which was hurting my knees, which was hurting my hips, which was hurting my head. <laughs> and um, uh, I said, James, I can go no further. I, that's that's me. He said, you're not quitting at 70 miles. You got me to go on, and now I'm getting you to go on. So we made it down to McDonald's, uh, where we had some proper food, which was nice too. Uh, it wasn't just gel or something warm. It was just, it's just food, you know. And got the feet sorted out just a little bit, and as it turned out, made it one more, made one more marathon. Yeah. So I got I yeah. that that was a massive psychologically that was massive, and I would say even after after Drogheda, every step for about five miles was awful. Yeah. Um. Then it started to ease a bit, and then, then come time to stop it, I I couldn't walk. If you can't walk, I had 11 miles to go, which isn't that far, but if you can't walk, it's a very long way. 
So what do you think was your biggest mistake through that race? So your, your feet were hurting a, uh, a lot. Foot, I think foot care was criminal. Uh, and the other thing is I didn't train properly for that race. I didn't take it as seriously as I should have. Do you think you went out too fast, or I did go out too fast? I mean, I was in Bamborough. I was I went twenty five miles in four and a quarter hours at the start. <laughs> it was absolutely so madness. So go as hard as you can, really. Abs- and then, no, so I hope you could. Ha- I it was just uh, I just went out and I wasn't bothered about time. This is a great event. I love this. Yeah. The atmosphere is brilliant. Everybody seems lovely. Uh, I'd met up, there were a couple of guys there at the start who I ran with at the start. Now they ended up finishing in good times, which was a, that was a mistake for me. But at the same time, I didn't start, I didn't start walking early enough. And I didn't start intermittently walking early enough. I basically ran to Bambridge. Yeah. uh, And that was a mistake because I started to feel it in terms of fatigue quite soon after that, which I was, hadn't really expected, especially as when I finished my first 25 miles, I felt great. Then I saw all my friends, uh, sort of waiting, not just for me, but for others, obviously. And then after I left there, not only was I starting to feel jaded, I didn't know the way as well. And um, maybe I knew that I wasn't really going to know anybody else on the way down. No, nobody's cheering me on yeah. kind of thing, you know. So I think actually next year that will be easier because you're coming back towards that. Yeah, 100%. I think so. Like so. I remember I, I done the coast to coast one time and it was um, from the west coast and we're going to Newcastle, County Down. So I was going home the whole time yeah. I was going home like and then you, there you can see the morns, then you're going over the morns, then you can see Newcastle and it would have been a totally different race if it was the other, other direction. I think you're right and you don't think about these things until it happens yeah. um, and then you know I think I mean I it just depends exactly when it is next year compared to London Marathon. Hopefully there'll be enough time for recovery in between because you know I find like I'm not 25 and I maybe don't look I'm not 25 and maybe I'm not a wonderful runner to be honest with you I'm an okay runner um so I think if I get the time next year and it's the slot works with London Marathon I mean I know I can do this yeah. because I know what to do differently and I'll be coming home. You got very close, like ninety six miles. <coughs> there's only there was eleven. I miles did, to but go. what you think about is inevitably when you're the kind of person challenges yourself, you don't think about the ninety six. You think about the eleven. Yeah. I mean, I'll readily admit that I sat by the road and cried. <laughs> it's no problem that to admit that you know. Um, but I also know that it's I quite sat. Quite common. <laughs> yeah, I sat. I mean, I don't opera. usually. I don't usually do it in general. Like I've never done it at five k. Um, but you know, I sat by the road and I cried. Mm. But I've absolutely, you know, I have regrets in that I let it happen, but I know I couldn't. It wasn't that I was feeling a bit mm. tired. I couldn't walk. Well, you've you done 26 miles on top of not being able to walk. So you have to look at it that Well, way. that <laughs> was that was temporarily not being able to walk. Uh, that uh, I was able to get a bit of assistance there from yeah. the doctor and so on. So I was, you know, uh, it wasn't it wasn't perfect walking thereafter. But, but it, it is, to be fair, it is a quite a leap going from 26 miles to 107 miles. And one thing people do need to be careful of is that. So you're seeing people doing like these 107 mile races and think, wow, I could do that. It's maybe good advice to actually try a few smaller ultras in between. Um, you like the sort of Causeway Coast or the Mornway Ultras, like 50 sort of miles to try and understand how your body's going to react to the I think there's distance. no doubt about it. I mean, there are even smaller things like I had a, a hydration pack with obviously bits and pieces in it. The first time I put that on my back was that morning. Yeah. That's absolutely, that's madness. You know, it, it's not heavy. It doesn't have much in it, 
but it's different. Um, so I think that I suppose uh, if you want to prepare for something, a real event as much as possible, assimilate it uh, as well as you can. Such a metal game as well. And I didn't. Yeah. That was my fault. So what I can say that I had no regrets sitting by the road because I couldn't walk. It wasn't that I could have maybe gone a bit further. I couldn't. Yeah. I could have put myself in a situation where I could have by training better, thinking about it more, and looking after my feet during that race so those are things that i do regret but there's not much i can do about them now but i'd be damn sure i'll be sorting that out for next year the same with any race though it's just about taking the learning out of that isn't it and then going again i find it a very positive experience i'm kind of uh pleased that i did it i managed to raise a pretty decent amount for the children's hospice yeah that was good uh there were uh there were no uh rebates given for non-completion yeah. uh and people just have to suck that up the, the team was there like i think people still thought it did okay you know look, i know it's fantastic um, nice six miles but look what i think about as well is it's a bit like the uh i don't think about the 96 i think about the 11 and i don't think about the others who didn't finish i think about all the people who did finish and i am still pretty gutted that I'm not one of them yeah. even if I'd been last I can, I can really tell that's going to come back round again there's a lot to be said in the races in like the Switzerland etc so the UTMB um, race which I'm trying to get into at the minute you have to do a couple of smaller ultras okay. first to get okay. points up okay. to actually allow you to register for that so that's maybe a good way of um, that's a great idea do you yeah. know what I mean so you have to well, I have to do two ultras and get four points in each one Okay. So they're a difficulty of one to six points um, to get into the race that I want so I need eight points over two races but it's just to make sure that you have actually dipped your toes in and you know exactly what you've taken on here I think it's probably good in terms yeah. of them getting a good quality of competitor and it's also good from the point of view that uh, you know people who do it safe. are going to be properly prepared and safe because yeah. as you say there are people now maybe including myself where uh, five years ago it was 10Ks and I was pleased with myself. <laughs> then it was maybe a, a 10 miler, then it was a half, then it's fulls. And people are pushing themselves on faster. And yeah. maybe I'm a case in point of that, that I pushed myself on too fast and didn't prepare properly. And somebody's going to do that at some stage and it's going to have a bad outcome. Mm. Um, and that may not be a bad reason for making sure that people have taken another step on the way before they do something crazy. Yeah, definitely a race like that as well, where it's, as you say, it's so stretched out. And there aren't checkpoints. They can't checkpoint them as such. You know, I suppose the tracking system there that have not the tracking. That there, look, there were uh, like informal uh, checkpoints every 13, 14 miles. Um, there was there was one missed because somebody got injured, and that was the thirty miler. So there was no checkpoint from thirteen to forty six, which I didn't really think much of at the time. But it probably actually did have a small impact. It's just yeah. because you're looking for that thirty mile checkpoint, Even trying to make them the bite sized step, jumps. Yeah. I kind of thought, what was the story with that checkpoint? Um, and then the third checkpoint we thought was at 40 miles, was actually at 46. So that stretches that out too. That's another little psychological thing oh, as well, like, you know, especially when you're starting to get a bit cold and a bit tired and a bit grumpy yeah. even, you know. What, what, what was the one thing that you liked the most out of the race? Uh, uh, the... Yeah, okay. The, actually, one of the most satisfying things about that race was that I rocked up at the start and um, everybody else looked uh, very, very well prepared. And I was feeling a bit nervous. And 
two of my friends came down to the start and I had no idea that anybody was coming. One of them, the guy Paul I went to school with, he came out of work. And a girl Claire, who doesn't actually, I don't think she really knows him, she came down as well to came out of her work and I know right. you know sometimes it's little things like that that are slightly life affirming um, that people would bother to do that it's not much they maybe didn't have to come far but I felt great that made me feel great to be honest with you that's maybe not the uh, landmark answer you were looking for but no, no. that was the kind of that, that, that kind of did it for me I really thought that was fantastic because yeah, we talked about the community inside of running but it's the support that you get from outside of running as well like one of the, Paul's not a runner. He's he's a mediocre cyclist by his own admission. Um, Claire's a runner. Uh, she's from Banbridge as well, and she was a couple of years below me at school. And I, I kind of know her quite well, but I just didn't expect to see her at the start. And yep, I, I again coming back to the group, the running group. Maybe it's a bit of a cliche to call it a running family. I mean, not, you know, but uh, I just find it's as I said before, a team ethic is absolutely fantastic. But inevitably, there are teams within teams. Uh, generally generally based on the level of performance of that individual or individuals but in running I don't I personally maybe it's naive but I don't find it yeah. and that that really <clears throat> does it for me and I find that you know obviously running was something that I maybe came back to because of a little bit of stress in my life or quite a lot of stress in my life I find that continually a positive thing in my life yeah um, and how did you feel after the race then? Or how was, when you come back to those guys, like I'm sure they were like, extremely supportive. Look, like, the wow. uh, level of support was uh, slightly embarrassing uh, because I was obviously still on a kind of, uh, as I've mentioned a couple of times now, thinking about the 11, not the 96. Everybody else was talking about the 96. Now, maybe they were sort of thinking a bit about the 11, but they're maybe being slightly nice about it, you know. But <laughs> I'll be honest, the, uh, the response I got was, Again, uh, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic, yeah. Did you feel proud of yourself? Look, I, I did, um, laterally. Because um, you went from 26 to 96. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, if you're going to challenge yourself, you've got to try and take the positives out of it. Yeah. Um, because if you do fail at something, you don't want it to have a negative effect. I'm in this for positivity and enjoyment and fun and laugh and great crack. I That's what I'm in this for. And so therefore you've got to try and take the positives. And I suppose there were a lot of positives from it, not only in terms of achieving a feral distance, raising a good amount of money for something that I really believe in, and also meeting that guy James, the two guys coming down to see me at the start. And um, there were a few other folk that I ran or hobbled with during the race as well and um, even the guy James whenever it came to the bit when I was finished and I could go no further he got me a, he, he uh, went on his phone got me an Uber and paid for it <laughs> I did give him it back but um, you know Brilliant. you know otherwise what was I going how was I going to get a taxi uh, just south of um, where was it Swords you know on the main road there weren't that many taxis going past that underpass uh, so look even little things like that he sorted me out yeah. and he then he had obviously been stop, stopping because of me, and then he he ran the last eleven miles. He was fine, but he would never have let me think that yeah. when he was kind of dragging me along. So it's always going to be a great life experience, isn't it? When you look back on it, I look. You, at some stage, I hope to be older, 
uh, considerably older and uh, maybe in the scheme of things I'll have grandchildren and so on and I kind of think I'd rather be able to bore them about the things that it did do maybe moderately interesting though they may be than to sit and bore them about the things that I wish I'd done yeah, um, and that may not be a wonderful experience for them but I'm pretty sure it'll be at least slightly more interesting for me Excellent. Uh, so your next race then is London so. no my next race is the Berlin Marathon uh, that's for Children's Hospice uh, that's uh, what, 16th of September so it's coming up kind of soon so do you have a Just Given page out for that or I don't. Um, I raised the. I raised the. The deal was that you you pay you pay your way with Sports Travel International, who Children's Hospice yeah. use for some of these 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 uh, these places. Um, children's Hospice doesn't get that many uh, marathon places. places. Yeah. Um, that's something you, that they, they work on, you know. Um, so and then you have to raise because I work for Children's Hospice. It's not that hard to raise the money that you have to raise. But what I do is any money that I raise towards my total I do it in my own time I don't do it as part of my job so if I do a street collection I do it in my own time and that that all adds up to what you have to raise so do Berlin for children's hospice then a friend of mine well a, a guy I went to school with Dominic Magalinen he uh, he lives in Sweden he works for Ericsson he seems to be somehow the manager of the Irish cross-country ski team he was actually their team manager in Sochi and he said to me about two weeks ago, do you want a place in the Galway Bay Marathon? In the time it took me to type, yeah, <laughs> I, I was in. Um, so I'm doing the Galway Bay Marathon. It's uh, allegedly very flat, but the, all these courses are PB courses. But, uh, you know, allegedly, yeah. I think it might be actually. So we'll see what happens. And then I've got Dublin after that. So I've got right. three in about six weeks. And uh, I know I'm in good shape, to be honest with you. I've been doing a lot of running. Not necessarily long, long runs. I'll do a couple. But I know I'm in good shape. Well, that was a good confidence booster yesterday. That I'm at 137. Yeah, sure. Tells you where you're at. That was that. That was good. Mm -hmm. I could and you know, of course, as you said about half, you get the half distance. You think you're absolutely undefeatable, <laughs> but there will come a time. You know, that's a that's a 10k lap as well, which is nice. It's a good enough distance not to be boring. Yeah. Uh, also, we, I was actually in the re, the, re, the marathon relay with three guys from St Peter's and Lurgan, and um, I ran on. In the third i did the third leg so that started not long after the actual half marathon so after about 5 10 15 minutes you were picking off half marathon runners and there's nothing like overtaking people to make you Push keep on, going yeah. yeah especially as they had pretty good numbers um and so there were there were quite a few people there who were maybe towards the back of that field and uh you're able to push on i usually start races near the back i yeah. like to i like to drift up a field rather than uh, start off at the start like a racing snake and gradually slip back I, I then start thinking I'm running in treacle yeah and that's so, getting slower and slower it just doesn't work for me I'm not going to be in the top 10 20 30 40 whatever in a, in a good size race so it's about the time for me uh, and I believe I can achieve a better time by starting off at the back is there one race sort of out there that you think to yourself maybe pie in the sky a little bit that you like to do though well, I think like uh, everybody who listened to Lauren O'Malley's <laughs> podcast, um, we're all going to be listening to uh, "Highway to Hell" by ACDC from a helicopter uh, in the middle of in the middle of Sahara Desert. Um, but <laughs> I, I keep on having this um, advert popping up on my Facebook page now. I don't know if you guys get it. This um, marathon disables 
keeps every day it's popping mm-hmm. up so i've obviously gone and I taken don't, a look i don't have it in my facebook i have it in my head yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um i uh, i don't know if it'll happen i might be getting a bit old i don't know if it'll happen i don't know if i could do it i mean let's face it you've got to fill in the form where you want your body sent yeah. you know uh that's that's a slightly different level again i'm not sure if i'd be able to do it but i think it's and it might be slightly symptomatic of people wanting too much too soon mm. uh you know maybe i wanted to go to dublin too soon after I started and people want more and more and more say i did the marathon day sabla what am i going to do after that uh, <laughs> you know but uh I, i'd love to do the tokyo marathon i in my uh initial job as a export sales for a linen weaver i went to tokyo quite a lot mm. Um, traveled quite a lot and I haven't been there for 20 years I'd love to go and run a marathon in the marathon in Tokyo yeah. so, so that might be 2020 or something like that I'm not I'm not sure have you got the majors in your site or is that sort not of really not really to be honest with you I mean I for some reason I don't really want to run the Boston Marathon I've been to Boston a few times and maybe it just it's okay but maybe as a place it doesn't really do it for me Tokyo does yeah. Um, it's a totally different culture all the I mean let's it? face it I mean if we're going to go to the extreme let's do the Antarctic yeah uh, but it's 15 grand <laughs> so you've, you've, you've checked it out then <laughs> I, ha- I I uh, have I have it's had strange. cause to investigate it as part of my job yeah these doors have opened up all over the place now aren't they and the races that you maybe have heard of um, so we talked. I talked in the last podcast with Paul Clark, you know, about Leadville and like the Great Western State. I used to read about these in books. Yeah. But now all of a sudden, both doors have opened. Actually, we can do these races. Why there's, should it be everybody else doing these things? Yeah, exactly. There's no reason. Nobody. There's, there's I don't know. Nobody's any better than anybody else in my book. Yeah. And why? Obviously, people have got limitations with regards to family budget. Uh, other responsibilities and so on but in general why should it be somebody else doing these things yeah there's been a real mental shift hasn't there of what we can and can't do i i think i think that's true and i think part of it's genuine i'm not sure all of it's totally genuine because obviously uh there are different generations generation x and so on and now we're into millennials and i think that there is with millennials um there's a slight sense of entitlement and I'm I'm pretty sure that sometimes people in that age group are told they can achieve anything they want, but I'm not totally sure that they're told that they have to go out and achieve it. Yeah. Um, so maybe they're aware that the possibilities are there, but I'm not absolutely sure that they're aware that they've got to go out and make it happen. Um, so for somebody like myself, who's maybe from a slightly different generation to those, maybe I'm benefiting from that. To a certain extent in that um yep those possibilities are out there and they can be you there's no reason that they can be you and not other people but you've got to go and make it happen and you've got to make decisions in your life it took me till i was 45 to make a decision in my life because like a lot of people i drifted into my career i don't necessarily regret that it's something i would very much advise against because you've got to be pretty lucky in those circumstances i would totally advise against it with hindsight and I was warned yeah. <laughs> by my father in fact <laughs> uh, but um, if only I'd listened but um, you can take control of your own life um, you can make these things happen they are there for you but you have got to make it happen Johnny that's excellent I'm going to wrap it up with that because okay. I couldn't 
top <laughs> that last statement. Like so, Johnny, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Really Many it. thanks. Lovely to meet Thank you. Glad we finally managed to tie up. It happened. Yeah, I'll see you in another forty-eight years. Brilliant.